Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the As Gunter Badola stood in the dock of the Old Bailey, diagnosed with amnesia, he couldn't give any evidence to defend himself over the crime which would warrant his sentence of death. So instead, he read this pre-prepared statement. <clears throat> you Honour, members of the jury, I stand before you accused of the murder of a man I cannot put forward any defense. The reason is that I have lost my memory of all these events. I cannot recall the crime. I do not know if I even did it, whether it was an accident or an act of self-defense. For these reasons, I am unable to admit or deny the charge against me. Thank you, my lord. With the evidence resting, and whether the jury believed that Gunter had willingly murdered Detective Sergeant Raymond Purdy, a crime still punishable by death. As there were no independent sightings of the shooting, and Gunter had no memory, the only witness was Dear Sanford, Purdy's partner. The case of Gunter Badola was unique as usually the accused would plead insanity. But here, pleading amnesia, the jury had an impossible task. To decide who was telling the truth, the killer or the copper. For the prosecution, it wasn't difficult to prove that Gunter was a liar. Being a criminal with three aliases, a history of theft, fraud and blackmail, a cowardly man who had abandoned his girlfriend and child in a refugee camp in war-torn Berlin, and a fabricator of such magnitude that he had even read out that statement that you've just heard in a North American accent even though he was a German. 
Thank you, my lord. His life was a lie. A fantasy concocted to please himself and fueled by delusions to flee from his problems. In the statement made by Roland Gray, a former sergeant in the intelligence corps who had arrested Gunter in 1949 trying to blackmail an unnamed widow. Having recognized Padola and his cunning ploy of a defense of amnesia, he would state, Padola was detained for 14 days. He refused to speak at all. He put on a vacant expression and grinned as if he was stupid or mentally deficient. And throughout, he spoke with a very strong Slavic accent, which suggested he was either Russian, Polish, or Yugoslavian. His con was simple, as by claiming memory loss, the less he told the British authorities of his crime and his identity, the more they would struggle to charge him. Only this lie would come back to bite him. Having claimed to be Major Karanov of the NKVD, I told him we believed his story and we were going to hand him over to the Russian authorities. Being caught impersonating a Russian official, he was most likely to be sentenced to a life of hard labor in a Siberian gulag or death. As we escorted Padola to a waiting car, he broke down and told us that he was German. So it's no surprise that being accused of a policeman's murder, that he would adopt that same ploy. On Tuesday the 16th of July, 1959, at 3.45pm, Four days after the murder, Gunter stood inside room 15 of the Claremont House Hotel, where this wanted man had held up since the shooting of Diaz Purdy. It's likely he heard the officers coming, as how silent could eight heavy-footed detectives and a police dog be? Having rapidly parked up several cars outside of this half-empty hotel, on a weekday afternoon. He'd have heard the engines, the boots, the barking, and the abrupt silence outside of his door. Followed by a hard knock, an order, Police, open up! And the door being forced. With his gun in the attic, and his only escape route being a window with a 30-foot drop, he would have known that he was cornered. So outmanned and overpowered, he did as he always did and concocted a tried and tested lie. If feigning amnesia wasn't his plan, then several elements of what follow don't make sense. If he didn't want the officers to force their way in, why didn't he block the door with his bed? If he didn't want this eight-man team to barge inside causing havoc, 
Why did he ignore their repeated commands to open up? And if he didn't want them to gain entry, why did he unlock it with a key? When DS Chambers broke down the door, he would state, I caught a glimpse of the prisoner. He was bending forward as the door hit him in the face. Which is an odd position to be in, given that a 17-stone detective was forcibly attempting to break the door down, and Gunter had just unlocked it. Why would he be anywhere near that door at that very moment? unless he wanted a head injury. This impact resulted in a wound which didn't fracture his skull. It caused minor bleeding on the surface of the brain, a black eye and a half-inch scar, all of which were temporary. And when Dr. Larkin was asked, could that concussion account for his loss of memory in its depth and extent? He replied, no. In fact, according to DCI ACOT, afterwards, Padola struggled violently for three or four minutes. So maybe, being trapped in a private room with no independent witnesses to verify what happened, using the police's well-publicized history of brutality against them, he adopted a very similar ploy. D.S. Chambers would testify, I felt him go limp under me. He stopped his struggles. He appeared to be senseless. I got off him, and DCI ACOT ordered the officers to move him to the bed, where he was made comfortable, and his injuries, a small cut and a swollen eye, were treated using very basic first aid. If this was police brutality, as the rival press and a Labour politician had asserted to the Conservative Home Secretary shortly before a general election. Why did he have only the most minor of injuries? When examined, he had no burns, slashes, fractures, breaks, nor signs of suffocation or strangulation. As you may expect from eight angry officers trapped inside a room with the killer of their colleague. If he was beaten up by the police, where were the other bruises? Having supposedly gone limp, owing to 30 stone of Burley officer, on top of this 12 stone weakling for almost five minutes, a weight which would surely have left him aching and sore at the very least, D.S. Chambers would state, After a few minutes, he came round, and he was able to sit on the edge of the bed. He didn't wheeze, cough, or grumble. In fact, he sat on the bed, and he watched every moment in the room. I felt he might be shamming, DCI ACOT said. So for safety, I had the prisoner handcuffed. Throughout the 30 minutes, they were inside of room 15, in which eight supposedly corrupt CID officers, with a deadly axe to grind, inflicted a terrifying ordeal on a suspect which ended in his amnesia. Why did no one hear him shout, 
cry out or scream. But was he injured, declining, or faking his symptoms? By 4.30pm, Gunter arrived at Chelsea Police Station. As before, he walked up the steps to the charge room, unassisted. And owing to fainting spells, which couldn't be disproved, windows were opened, the fan was switched off, and deemed unfit to be charged, arrested, to give testimony, or to see a solicitor. The duty officer phoned the police surgeon, and Gunter was placed in a cell until it could be examined. When arrested, many criminals used this moment to abuse the officers. And when questioned, they state no comment, which affords the police no evidence, but comes across badly in a court of law. Whereas amnesia is a much more sympathetic way of saying no comment, without being seen as obstructive, and given the criminal a better chance of being found guilty of a lesser charge, or even acquitted. When examined by Dr. Shanahan, the police surgeon, although he appeared dazed, frightened and exhausted, physically he was okay, including his reactions to light, his tendon flex, his heart rate, his temperature was normal, his pulse rate was 86, and his blood pressure was a regular 140 over 80. But any mental impairment would be hard to disprove and easy to fake. Whether he was passing out, going limp, shaking, or simply falling silent, it takes effort. But it also needs consistency, which was a problem as the symptoms of this convicted thief and blackmailer were intermittent and convenient. Move to cell number one. PCs Hannigan and Hall stated he slept a lot, which may have been a symptom of his supposed head injury, his need to say less and to provide nothing, or his cruel callousness having shot a policeman dead. But it could also be that, by struggling to walk, to sit up, to stand, and to even undertake the most basic of tasks like going to the toilet unaided. Given that the police had a duty of care for his welfare whilst in their custody, maybe part of his petty revenge against them was to make these officers wipe his ass. With Gunter remaining silent, sleeping and shaking intermittently, Unable to diagnose the cause, at 12.30am he was removed by stretcher to St. Stephen's Hospital, where he would be assessed by experts. Transferred to Ward B5, Gunter would spend the next four days bedbound, bored and immobile, with his left wrist chained to the bed and only able to move if Aided by an officer, he needed to pee. It may seem like all he had to do was sleep. But brains need activity, and boredom can be torture. 
if Gunther was lying about his amnesia. So far, he'd been a good liar. But even the best liars can make simple mistakes. When first admitted to casualty, on initial observation, Dr. Latham would state, he appeared semi-comatose and responds to simple commands. I diagnose exhaustion, terror and concussion. But with no brain injury, he would conclude, he is not an amnesiac. As when they offered him Nembutol, he declined, proving that he knew what this sedative was. Assessed by Dr. Ashton, he would struggle to decide if Gunter had amnesia or not, as it is difficult to assess this patient, because he is uncommunicative, and also because his head injury and associated circumstances have obscured his personality. For what it's worth, I would label him a schizoid psychopath. And when assessed by Dr. Harvey, although a diagnosis of severe retrograde amnesia was stated, he would qualify, it's patchy and it breaks up as he improves. And as retrograde amnesia affects the memories formed before the incident that caused the amnesia, not the stored memories from years before, it made sense, if conveniently, that he couldn't recall the murder but not the rest of his life. To assess his mental capacity, or lack of, every detail of Gunter's day was noted and assessed. On Friday the 17th of July 1959, the day of his admission, Three teams of two officers, in rotating three-hour shifts, sat at Gunter's bedside, keeping guard as they watched him examined by doctors and nurses. Up to 9am, the PCs would state he slept soundly, which could have been a simple ploy, as silence is a sign of the most sinister of symptoms. At 10am, he asked for water, by whispering just the word, water, water, and pursing his mouth as an officer bottle-fed him like a baby. And yet, just hours earlier, in room 15 of the Claremont House Hotel, he had greedily guzzled cup after cup of water without assistance. But maybe this amnesia was worsening by the hour. At 10.35am, he needed the toilet and indicated this by one word, toilet. toilet, at which two officers removed his trousers and pants as he royally emptied his bowels in their presence. Which was odd, as even when a toddler is toilet trained, once they know how to do it, they never forget it but he had. At 11.07am, muttering the word smoke, smoke, like he'd forgotten the name of his slave, 
PC Plowman lit him a cigarette and held it as he smoked. With Gunter supposedly incapable of even the most basic of tasks, he continually ordered his flunkies with a curt word of food, smoke or toilet. Only when a nurse washed him, he answered all of her questions by nodding. He assisted her in drying himself, and he cleaned his own teeth. Maybe he was faking amnesia. Or as Dr. Colin Edwards would testify, maybe this was his sheet anchor. A person suffering from amnesia needs a form of memory to hang on to. In great emotional conflict, such as might be aroused by fear, the mind protects the patient by shutting off recollections which give rise to the conflict. In this case, a beating by the police could have caused him to lose his sheet anchor. On Saturday the 18th of July, his second day in hospital was a copy of the first. As he said little, and he did little. But with PCs, Plowman and Hucklesby doing puzzles to pass the time, he took a great deal of interest in the jigsaw, as being mentally starved of any excitement. Even this kid's toy would look mesmerizing. By Sunday the 19th of July at 5.45 p.m., 65 hours into his confinement to a hospital bed, either he was mentally improving or forced to see only the same four walls and the same few faces. Boredom had set in. Whilst having his ears syringed, Gunter, who said he couldn't recall his name, his age, his family or his past, began talking in fluent French to a nurse and later in perfect German to a doctor. But was this a mistake? Or was his brain recovering? After this revelation, now being able to converse fully in English, he ate a full meal, soup, salad and ice cream, later followed by seconds, and took an interest in the puzzle an officer was doing. PC Hind would state, He said, there's an easier way to do it. The other men did it this morning. Upon that, he completed both puzzles in half an hour. They were difficult and had been attempted by several officers, but without success. Monday the 20th of July would be his fourth and final day in the hospital. As PZ's Burke and Hucklesby played chess, Padola laughed when an officer was foolish enough to let his queen be taken by a pawn. Later examined by Dr. Latham, who was beaten by Gunter in a game of chess, in which he told me he'd learned to play in Germany and played a faultless game, pointing out my mistakes and the alternatives. At 2.10pm, with Gunter declared fit to appreciate the nature of his charge, but not fit enough to provide testimony. He was arrested and transferred to Brixton Prison to await his trial for murder.
So was Gunter lying about his amnesia? Or was it real? On this matter, the medical professionals would be split. Dr. F.R. Brisby, medical officer of Brixton Prison, would state, Psychiatry is widely discussed in the press, movies and books. Say your prayers, Muggs. So even a layman could acquire the basics. Morning, gentlemen. Thanks, Dave, I've made it. With Edgar Wallace being Gunter's favourite mystery writer, it was noted that several of his stories have a character who has amnesia. Always remember, don't be a sucker. But potentially using this source as the basis for his knowledge of amnesia, he had made many mistakes. You know, Jerry, I think in order to be afraid, you you got to have a heart. I don't think I got one. I had that cut out of me a long time ago. His first was to claim loss of memory, not just for the incident, but for his whole life. As that kind of amnesia would be very rare and would result in his entire personality being erased, which it hadn't. Tested on his knowledge, Dr. Brisby would state he couldn't recall his family, his friends, his nationality or his occupation, but he could remember details of New York and Montreal. The same was said by Dr. Lee of Maudsley Hospital, who found that Gunter couldn't recall his child's name but was able to name the monarch, the prime minister, the German chancellor and the president. He even corrected me that Herr Albrecht was the East German Communist Party chief and not the premier. His memory was inconsistent. He couldn't say where he was born, but he spoke German. He had no idea how he injured his head. But when asked by the doctors, he knew that he wasn't on any medication. He had no knowledge of his career, but he spoke freely about modern aerodynamics, having worked, as an investigation would prove, as an apprentice draftsman at the Heinkel factory in Rostock. And yet his memory of his girlfriend Ruth and their child Michael, who he called Mickey, was hazy at best. But when antagonised by Dr. Brisby about his Nazi past, Gunter barked that he wasn't in the SS. As being too young to fight, I was in the Jungevolk and later in the Hitler Youth. Which was true. His second mistake, Dr. Brisby would state, was to lose his ability to do basic tasks. Described by Dr. Stafford Clark as hysterical amnesia, trauma can cause selective physical amnesia. But recovery often occurs spontaneously within a few hours and is usually connected with the traumatic circumstances. In this case, if Gunter was assaulted by the police, his amnesia would occur in things associated to room 15 but not everything. His third mistake was to be deliberately cautious when asked about the murder and the possible assault. As when asked how he knew about certain details, he would either state, My solicitor told me. I read it in a statement. 
I don't know. I just know. Or his answers would be painfully vague, like, they said I killed someone. And yet, after the initial court proceedings, Dr. Brisby would state, he gave me a very intelligent, detailed and coherent narrative with a keen appreciation of what he thought were the discrepancies in the evidence. Asked in court, do you accept that this alleged case of hysterical amnesia is genuine? Dr. Brisby replied, no, there were no consistent symptoms. Dr. Colin Edwards, Dr. Michael Ashby and Dr. Philip Harvey all said that it was. Dr. Stafford Clark claimed that it was fright. And Dr. Lee testified, he is feigning amnesia. There is no evidence of any impairment, now or at the time of the alleged crime, and he is fit to stand trial. Six specialists in neurology and psychiatry, but all with differences of opinion. Only it was two seemingly insignificant pieces of evidence which would bring into question the recollections of those involved, which would prove so devastating to the prosecution and the defence. One was by Gunter himself, an amnesiac who couldn't recall his own name, his friends, or any of the places he had stayed or things he had done in the seven weeks of freedom he had spent in England. And yet, on the 28th of August, from Brixton Prison, Gunter wrote a letter in reply to his friend, Ron Starkey of Southsea, writing in perfect English and beginning, Dear Ron. Dear Ron. He asked how he was. He requested some smokes being sent to the prison as he'd run out. And he ended it, Yours cordially. Yours cordially. But later realising his grave error, Gunter asked the prison officer to retrieve this letter from the postbox, which he did. But realising its value in the impending criminal trial, it was used against him. Whereas the second, it wasn't a recollection by D.S. Sanford, the late D.S. Purdy, or any of the CID officers at Chelsea Police Station, as although inconsistent, their statements were believed. It was the evidence of Roland Gray, the British intelligence officer, who was said to have arrested and detained Gunter Padola on the charge of blackmail in 1949, and from a newspaper report, had recognised Padola who is charged with the murder of Detective Sergeant Birdie and is putting forward the defence of amnesia. From what they knew of Gunter, it all matched. A 20-year-old German blackmailer and fraudster, who had a history of using aliases like Fisher, who was prone to fleeing when cornered, who had a willingness to shoot without any hesitation, 
a habit of feigning amnesia when detained. And when confronted with a death sentence, like being handed over to the Russians, he would suddenly admit the truth. The prosecution needed this evidence to be rock solid. But when Interpol investigated, it turned out that Roland's memory of the events a decade ago were mistaken. As that wasn't going to Padola, but somebody else. Deemed fit to stand trial, but not to provide testimony. On the 23rd of September 1959, he pleaded not guilty to the murder of Detective Sergeant Raymond William Purdy and McCall no witnesses. Assessed as an intelligent man with an IQ of 115, Gunter's demeanor was described as cool and cold. As he handed his solicitor handwritten notes as each witness spoke, their contents unknown. While the jury deliberated whether this was a deliberate shooting by the accused, Gunter sat in his cell, calmly munching a nice lunch of German sausage, luncheon meat, salad and coffee. Returning just 37 minutes later, as Gunter had done in the hospital, the foreman replied with just one word. Guilty. Guilty. Donning a black cap, Justice Edmund Davies proclaimed, You have been convicted of the murder of Raymond William Purdy, a police officer acting in the execution of his duty. For that foul and terrible deed, but one sentence is prescribed. It is that you suffer death in the manner authorized by the law. On the 15th of October 1959, with his appeal dismissed, as the medical committee had determined that his amnesia was fake. Suddenly, with his execution looming, Gunter had a change of heart, and he would state that his memory had miraculously returned, that at the time of the murder I was housebreaking, and for the shooting, he blamed it on a double called Bob Levine. Rightly investigated, his burglary and lookalike claims were debunked. And on the 5th of November 1959, just four months after the murder, 30-year-old Gunter Padola was hanged at Wandsworth Prison. Today, a memorial stands outside of 95 Queensgate, where D.S. Purdy was murdered. And although his killer would feign amnesia to escape the hangman's noose, Gunter's only claim to fame was that he was the last person executed in England for the murder of a police officer. His cowardly crimes do not warrant any praise. So let's afford him the respect he granted his victim by forgetting his name, his details and his history as if he has already been erased 
by a shattered memory. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux. XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Big stretch, stretch time. Oh, so there we go, folks. That was part three. Part three, the final part of uh, Shattered Memory, The Trial of Gunter Padola. Hope you enjoyed that. I have to say that was a bugger to get through the file in the archives. It is extensive. And it's not one of those normal cases where you just open up the case file and you go, uh, oh, yeah, this is the basic story. And I just follow that because it's because it's hard to work out who's telling the truth and who's lying and who's mis- misremembering and whose recollection is right and wrong. And there's so many people involved and oh it's there's a lot of corruption and you just go oh my god uh what to believe what not to believe so i'm just about to open a a window behind me so anyway welcome to extra mile the unscripted unedited bit we will do a little bit of a quiz in a second we'll have a bit of a chat i'll dive into some extra stuff uh about the story so i'm just sorting out my curtains at the moment uh there we go good oh that's better a little bit of fresh air um the, the cockerel was still going off next to me little bastard he's, he's next door and he's like it's a cockadoodle-doo. and it's like it's what what it's it's what time is it it's 10 o'clock in the morning you little bastard everyone should be awake by now the only people who aren't are lazy bastards maybe that's it maybe he's a lazy bastard cockerel he just goes cockadoodle-doo for anyone who's a massive lazy bastard i think he's just shit at his job anyway um Airplanes going over, being in my life, those little bastards flying into the little private airport, which is where all the drug dealers go. 
Uh, I'm just going to go and put on my tea. Bear with, bear with, bear with, bear with. I made a coffee, but I didn't even drink it. What's the point in that? Today is my ginger tea. I've chopped up some ginger. I'm just going to pop that on. Got to pop on some water. Oh, I really need a tea now. Oh, and I've locked the window. I've locked my side door. Why have I done that? Because I'm an idiot. Just opening up the side door. Bear with. Oh, fresh air. Oh, Coot was having a moment as well, being an asshole. So let's dive into what's going on in the world. Uh, still blind, still bl half blind in my left eye, which is still pain in the ass, but plodding on, plodding on. Thank God, my eye, the infection has almost cleared up, I think. Or oh, on the surface, at least it has. Uh, but so my eye no longer looks like the devil's anus, which is good, which is good. Um, haven't had any cake for two weeks now. <sighs> no cake, no chocolate, no beer, no fun. Uh, although I have quite enjoyed, because sometimes if I go into town, I think, oh, I need a sandwich, but I'm trying to stay off wheat as well, because wheat really bloats you out and you shouldn't have wheat. I'm staying off cheese as well. Although I'm having a little bit of uh, feta with my dinner, so that's good. Uh, what I enjoyed the other day was I went into the, the, the supermarket to pick up a Diet Coke, and then I was like, oh, a little punnet of uh, fruit. So I started enjoying uh, a little punnet of sh strawberries I had yesterday. Day before was one of those fruit punnets with... Um, mango and uh, grapes and uh, passion fruit and I was like oh it's really nice and I put that along with my little treat of having carrots Michael your life is so exciting wow why does everyone tune in for this shite um, let's see is my water almost done let me go and grab that I think that's almost done I think that's good enough yeah that'll do me that'll do pig there we go chopped ginger Quite nice chopped ginger in water. That's all it is. Nice and simple. So, ah, there we go. Uh, I thought I'd introduce you to something uh, interesting this time. I got uh, contacted by a, a fellow tour guide. Remember when I used to do tours? Not anymore. Um, um, so Maria, she does uh, historical tours, uh, theatrical walking tours that bring women's history to life. So I, I, it sounded really interesting. I'm hopefully when my eye is 100%, I'm going to go on the tour as well. But I thought I'd introduce you to that. So I'm going to read the blurb that goes with it. Um, ready for the angin. London has a long, dark legacy of trial, punishment and execution. The stories and grisly ends of Jack Shepard, Captain Kidd and many other male criminals of London law are well known and documented. But what about the women? Join us on a journey to discover four of the lesser known female felons of London's past. From the old city of London to the bustling West End, uh, allow your guide to show you to the places uh, that crimes and executions took place in the 1800s and early 1900s and introduce you to women responsible for them. You'll hear stories and dramatic reenactments of a 20-year-old criminal mastermind, a poisonous domestic servant, a murderous foster carer, a cunning courtesan. <sighs> this all sounds right. I'm looking forward to this. So uh, tours last about two hours. They're normally on the second... Uh, there's one on the se this won't have gone out by then that's fine they're kind of there's two a month at the moment meeting point outside the old bailey ends on the strand um basically 15 pounds a ticket which is a very good price i used to do mine at 15 pounds as well i think i think it's the right price uh especially for a two-hour tour it's just just the perfect amount of time don't forget you need a, a little level of fitness for this so um kind of the same as my one don't do the tour but expect the fact that you're going to do a little bit of walking so get ready for it um 
you can either go to historical tours so historical but h-e-r historical tours historical underscore tours on instagram um i'll put a link in the show notes or uh in the show notes as well is a link to all of their links as well so um yeah the um distances between there's please note there's distances between stops uh can be up to 17 minutes of walking um so just so you make sure, so give that a go. I'm I'm looking forward to doing that soon when my eye is 100%. Uh, but yeah, do that. That's uh, historical tours. Link in the show notes. So there you go. I miss, I do, I, in a way I do kind of miss not doing the tours anymore. I miss the immediacy of it. You could get instant feedback. You, I, uh, the, my original tour was like three and a half hours because I was excited to write it and I wrote loads of it. And then I realised that three hours was far too much and I started cutting and cutting and cutting. And then you suddenly realise there's stories that aren't as exciting and you realise you can you have to rearrange things. And um, weirdly, it was um, the thing that didn't work at the start of the tour was actually the Soho Strangler. That was on the original tour and it didn't work at all. It failed massively at the start. I couldn't find a way to get it work, but I was actually just over the next couple of years of kind of changing it and changing it and adding different stories and i, I the, the big excitement at the end was i was leading people to the idea that red max cassell was the soho strangler but i deliberately hid the fact that he was the second person murdered out of all five if you include them uh, and that was really good i thought no one's going to fall for that but almost everyone fell for it every time because because i deliberately used deception it was really good fun and like I like uh there'd be a picture of Red Max Cassell and Roger Verne and, and I'd have them side by side and then as you go through the tour it's 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 quite subtle, but I'd always have a line that I'd never point my finger to which says who is the Soho Strangler and as you go through the tour, the picture of Red Max gets bigger and bigger and the one of Roger Vernon gets smaller and smaller. It's subtle things like that, that really work. So I had a lot of fun with the tour. So yeah. Um check out historical tours. I will be going on that very soon right quiz questions let's do quiz questions then we'll dive into some extra stuff to do with this uh this case itself uh question number one when arrested in berlin when allegedly arrested in berlin uh it was said that gunter um, it was said that padola well his name's gunter padola my brain is just not working this morning uh when allegedly arrested in berlin it was said that gunter padola said his real name was what that wasn't difficult, Michael. Question number two. When examined by the police surgeon at Chelsea Police Station, what was Gunter's pulse rate? I think it just threw me off there because they called him... I put in Padola when I've been calling him Gunter throughout. Uh, question number three. How many days was it said that Gunter was detained by British intelligence in Berlin? Question number four. What ward was Gunter put on in St Stephen's Hospital? Question number five. What sedative was he offered in hospital but refused? Question number six. What was Gunter having done to him by a nurse uh, when he started speaking French? Basically, uh, I'm not going to go down there. It's it's rude. Uh, Question number seven. uh, Which doctor was beaten by Gunter at chess? Question number eight. What prison was he transferred to? What, what prison was he transferred to from hospital? Question number nine. Gunter claimed he couldn't remember his own child's name, but he could remember the name of which five people? Name three of them. 
And question number 10. What did they say Gunter had an IQ of? So there we go. Don't forget, I haven't edited this episode yet, so I will probably balls up some of those questions. If they do, don't get upset about it. Some people do. Some people message me and they get really upset. And you just go, it's a, it's, it's a quiz on a free podcast. Chill out. Uh, so there we go. Uh, let's dive into some stuff. I, I, it was interesting that this was raised in the House of Commons. So Home Secretary Rab A. Butler, um, who was in charge of police matters at that moment, denied in the House of Commons that Padola had been beaten up by the police station. Um, but at that point, he refused to go into any details about this. Now, as, as mentioned, um, although this is quite an interesting case and uh, there's a lot of police corruption going on around that point and police brutality... This is also happening just at the point when there's about to be a general election and the Conservatives were in charge and Labour were not, which is the position we're in at the moment. So obviously, you know what politicians are like, utter shitbags. Uh, but often they will only pull things out when they need it. So so um, quite often, you're, you're like with uh, the lockdown, when all the parties were happening in the lockdown, not to, not to give people excuses for this, but there was a newspaper... Um, who had photos of the private party and they released them a year and a half later. And you go, why have they released them now? Why did they not release them when they had them a year and a half ago? And it's because we were heading towards a, a key political moment. And you just go, well, that's just shit, isn't it? But unfortunately, uh, uh, politicians in the press are to shitbags and that's the way they do it. Um, so uh, as we know, uh, in that there were uh, there was a big discussion between uh, uh, Mr. Arty Paget, a barrister and a Labour member, who asked the Home Secretary what happened to Gunter Padola during the six hours at Chelsea Police Station, which necessitated his removal to hospital on a stretcher, and why was his law- lawyer denied a, a admittance? Um, Mr. Paget said that he was not concerned with the charge, but with the people who had beaten him unconscious. Um, and this would be the thing it got it kind of got into the uh, where it had started was when he was removed from the Claremont House Hotel and the police had put uh, a coat over him. That was all fine. They couldn't see his face. Uh, but by the time he was taken to I think it was West West London, West London Magistrates Court for kind of his preliminary hearing when he was taken out of the back in the police car, he hadn't got a coat over his head. So there's. Uh, a shot of Gunter Padola on the left-hand side of the car. Uh, he's in the middle of the car, but the shot is from the left-hand side of the car, and you can see a massive bruise uh, to his eye. Like, he's, the left of his eye is really badly swollen. So instantly the press jumped on that, and they were like, the police have beaten him up, because this was an era of massive police brutality. So obviously, Mr Butler would say, uh, Padola was not beaten unconscious, and there was no proof of that at all. Uh, so this this would go on for quite a while. It's, it's it's interesting that this is how high profile it is that it made it to the House of Commons, and that it was discussed between the Home Secretary and a, a, a Labour member of Parliament as well. Um, I never discussed this in the episode because I felt it was self-explanatory. But the evidence that was found. So uh, there was a search of the room on the sixteenth of July, nineteen fifty nine, which was the same day that the uh, room fifteen was stormed. Um, they found uh, Exhibit A, a a pair of light grey trousers as uh, worn at the time of the murder by D.S. Purdy so they were uh, Gunters Uh, Exhibit 7, a light grey leather Italian style 
uh, casual shoes. Ooh, very fancy, lovely. Uh, reminds me of those ones by uh, that Chevy Chase wears in uh, National Lampoon Vacation, the white ones that his, uh, his cousin gives him. Lovely. Why did I go down that track? Uh, exhibit 28 was a pawn ticket dated the 8th of July in the name of H.R. Fisher for 166 West Cromwell Road for a mink stole, which obviously belonged to Vern O'Hara, uh, which he pawned for £10 at B. Bosher and Sons on Edgware Road as well as a pad of notepaper and some envelopes. Uh, in that room as well, in room 15, behind the cupboard and underneath the carpet, uh, they found a number of passports. Uh, there were three in total, uh, as well as a passport in the name of Gunter Padola. Um, sometimes that's what happens. Criminals will hide their details. We had we had a, a big problem before with... It's a fudge, it still happens. With uh, There was a, a group of lads from uh eastern europe i can't remember what country they were from and they were breaking into boats in and around uh east london where i was staying at the time and uh we managed to work out who they were and where they were and i, I took a picture of uh, i saw them coming down the road i was like is this the person and the lady whose boat had broken into went yeah that's him uh so i notified the police and they were arrested within minutes which was great but at the end of the day they were released and the thing is, what they do is all of their ID, they bury it, they hide it somewhere in the woods. Um, and any of their details, so the police can't charge them. If they haven't got fingerprints, they don't know who they are. Therefore, it's kind of, well, all we can do is issue um, uh, something that says, you need to come to court on Monday to do this. Uh, uh, but they just don't turn up. So unfortunately, that's the problem. When you, that's why if you're a criminal you hide your passport and any details which is what Gunter did as well um they, they also searched the attic uh, inside they found a mauve pullover a copy of the times the pistol which was exhibit 10 the shoulder strap and holster of which it was in uh, and ammunition uh they also found another diary that was there not the black notebook that was there but you had a red diary that was in there uh, I think that's all we need on that bit. Um, St. Stephen's Hospital. This is the one that's really interesting. This took bloody ages to piece together. I've given you an abridged version on this because I can't, I obviously can't tell you everything that happened over the 24 hours, but the the police and the doctors really did give a very detailed account of what was uh, happening to him. Um, uh so gunter was checked uh he was assessed his brain he had an x-ray his brain hadn't been for uh, his brain his skull hadn't been fractured uh there was a small amount of uh, bleeding on the brain but that's to be expected with any kind of head injury you're bound to get that um i took this out of the episode he claimed a couple of times that he was hearing music in his ears um uh, that it lasted for about two days he said it was awful music there's no mel melody it's very shrill it was like an orchestra tuning up but obviously because this is in his head none of the doctors could either prove or disprove it um uh, you can hear that cockle utter bastard utter utter bastard i'm gonna have him for dinner uh doctors would say that his his recovery from concussion would be slow. Doctors also said this is partially down to his injuries, but is also owing to malnutrition as he lacks sufficient nourishment for the time. Uh, and he was, uh, uh, Dr. F.R. Brisby said, I was, I found he was exaggerating his weakness to some extent. 
this is what made it really difficult to try and piece this all together because as mentioned you've got six doctors in there and all of them have different opinions about whether he's faking amnesia whether it's a different type of amnesia or whether he does have amnesia uh, and that made it really difficult uh but that's that's the, the odd thing it's all very inconsistent um Dr. Ashton, as mentioned in the episode, said it is difficult to assess his patient because he is completely incommunicative and because of the effect of the head injury and the surrounding circumstances which obscure his personality. I do not think there can be a question of his basic abnormality. The present situation and his known previous career are obviously symptomatic of a fundamental lack of adjustment and ability to foresee the circumstances of his act consequences of his actions. For what it is worth, I would label him a schizoid psychopath. Lovely. Um, so, as mentioned in the episode, he uh, he did a lot of sleeping, which is kind of the easy way around it, isn't it? It's like, if you're silent and you're sleeping a lot, that could be symptomatic of kind of a brain injury and you're kind of trying to get the recovery you need. Like, like when you've suffered uh, traumatic injuries, sometimes medical professionals will put you into a medically induced coma because actually it's better just to let your body repair you while you're doing nothing it shuts it shuts down all of your unnecessary functions like your arms and your legs and it, that's what happens when you sleep and your body which is why if you wake up too quickly you'll get you know the blood's not in your arms and legs and you're like you're floppy and weird whereas when you're sleeping your body is just doing all the repairs that it needs to do and it doesn't need to repair your arms and legs it doesn't need any of that it's just focusing on all of your organs and all the important stuff um so that's why it could have looked to them like uh he did have a, a brain injury hence he's sleeping a lot but also it's just a quick and easy way around it isn't it you don't have to say anything you don't have to do anything you just lie there all day but when he was in hospital he really struggled because he was bored as shit he couldn't leave he couldn't leave the room or, or the the area where he was uh he, he could if he wanted to go to the, he was handcuffed to the bed he could only he could go as far as the toilet but that was it it's like i would be bored as shit with that i really would and don't forget he doesn't have a telly in there um there's no radio so whether they deliberately took things away to make sure that he would be as bored as he was maybe that's the way to do it maybe that's the way to kind of induce him into becoming more bored than he than he would normally be or maybe he or maybe just he was a restless person i think they they, they said that with um the film misery didn't they with uh james khan and uh was it rob reiner originally didn't want james khan to play the lead role because he's such a hyper person and what this needed was someone who would lie in bed for almost the entire film and they said in the end he actually turned out to be the perfect actor to do it because a he's hyper b he was going through like drug problems at that moment so he's you know he's uh going through withdrawal um but it because he was stuck in a bed it gave a real urgency to kind of his performance because he was like he was really struggling with like two months of being in bed so uh yeah oh i might watch misery tonight that's a good call i might do that um i'll see if eva wants to watch it she'll probably want to watch one of her own 
films as always uh what else we got uh as mentioned do you know physically he was fine um physically when they checked his pulse and his heart rate uh uh blood pressure things like that all of his reflexes everything was there so physically he was fine all he seemed to have was that cut above his eye and a swelling uh of the eye as well small bruise to the jaw and a small bruise to his arm but nothing more so of course if he was beaten by the police you'd expect a lot more i mean maybe they did waterboard him in the sink maybe that's possible maybe being on top of him they he had gone limp maybe he feigned it you know we don't know that's the problem inside that room we don't know and there's even though there's technically 10 people in there it's like everyone's got different perspectives everyone's got different things that they want to achieve from this so uh it makes it really difficult uh as with not having a uh, access to a solicitor as mentioned uh when he was brought into the charge room at the police station he had already been uh medically determined that he was not fit to be questioned not fit he was fit to be detained but not arrested not charged and he was not fit to see a solicitor because he he couldn't answer any questions and that's the problem that would be the problem with this case as well for gunter as well is because he'd opted for the idea that he'd got no memory of anything therefore he couldn't he couldn't rebuke any of the witnesses at his own trial if and as i said you know his his amnesia was faked if he'd offered the idea that he had no memory of uh just the incident itself everything else was fine which which the doctors would have said okay that makes sense that is retrograde amnesia based around fear and given the fact that he was brought into the hospital and they diagnosed him with shock and exhaustion that would make perfect sense and it, it i think all of the doctors would have concurred on that and as he's kind of getting nearer and nearer to the trial fragments of memory could come back intermittently and that would make sense because he then then even if he's lying about it he can cherry pick he can go oh i've got a memory of that yeah i think i remember that but then also the lawyers could also say well is he being guided has he been shown a statement which says this and therefore he's not remembering it he's kind of uh he's kind of attributing a kind of a face to it it's it's like I was listening to a, a podcast about ghosts today, and there was this lady who was kind of saying, "Oh yeah, there used to be this ghost," and he stood at the end of the wall at the the door, and he just kind of looked at me all day, and I kind of got used to him. And then someone did some research on the house, and they found a picture of a man who lived there, and they got his name, and his his facial description. He was kind of an old man with a big beard and kind of nice eyes, described as kind eyes. And she said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's him. That's the man." that's probably not what happened it's most likely that she said she saw a ghost and she had no real visual memory of the ghost because everyone who you just who describes ghosts it's very vague the details and it's more likely that when she was shown a picture of the man she attributed that picture to the ghost and those memories of the past she now remembers the kind eyes and the beard as opposed to a kind of a vague figure in the corner so unfortunately that's what people do that's what memories do we're always trying to make connections we're always, always trying to piece stuff together and this is the same with this it's like doesn't matter whether it's a man with amnesia it doesn't matter whether it's uh police officers giving statements or witnesses to the scene or um 
a British intelligence officer from 10 years prior who was uh, giving evidence about, I think we'll dive into that very shortly, uh, about Gunter 10 years ago when he was arrested, which turned out not to be. I tell you what, let's let's dive into that. That's quite interesting. Um, pretty much, I gave you I gave you quite a lot about what happened in hospital. The the de- the details were very thorough because all the police were there. They were all in shifts. They were all given the details. Um, they every time Gunter spoke, they would make a record of that. They would write it down. Um, uh, whenever he needed to go to the toilet, they would mark the timings when he needed a cigarette. Um, you can kind of see how he's how he's it really does feel like he's treating them like slaves while he's just going food smoke water toilet wipe my bum do you know it's 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 if it was a regular patient they would kind of probably let someone do it for them uh when asked but he seems to be there seems to be a little bit of joy in there maybe so uh yeah so but but i i think that was a key point i I really enjoyed going through all the all the diaries of everyone who was kind of there that day um and watching how he would change and kind of his reactions like he, he would talk in full sentences to the nurses and the doctors but to the to the officers he would just go smoke and then he'd wait for them to light a cigarette, and I, I thought that was quite funny. Uh, what we got? What we got? Um, let's go past that. Oh, the Roland Gray. Okay. Um, so Roland would state uh, he actually read about this in the newspaper. This is what happened. It became big in the newspapers. He read about this case in the newspapers. So it's likely that what he's talking about is true, but he misattributed it to a to the wrong person. And the same as as I was just saying with that with the lady who saw the ghost with the kind eyes and the beard, she's most likely attributed a photo that she saw years later, and has back attributed all the information so now when she remembers the ghost in the corner she remembers it with kind eyes and a a beard whereas back then she wouldn't have remembered that at all Uh, people do that all the time we're always trying to make connections and it looks like he's probably done that here so uh, on the 16th of july 1959 so the day of the murder i went to chelsea police station and made a statement giving some particulars of padola with whom i dealt with as a sergeant in the intelligence corps while stationed in berlin in 1949 I recognised the name Padola and the photograph of the man arrested for the murder in Chelsea, published in the evening paper. So evening paper that day. Um, Today, 10th September 1959, I have read the evening's papers that Padola, who is charged with the murder of Detective Sergeant Purdy, is putting forward a defence of complete memory loss. Um, This is what he did when he was detained in Berlin in 1949. So what he's done is the all of this is true but he's looked at that picture he's made a connection and then suddenly yeah oh yeah padola so it might be padola it could be peters it could be Bodola. uh he looked at the face and this is a face of you know someone who was 20 years old who's now 30 years old he's gone oh yeah that nah, yeah that must be the man and then you convince yourself this must be him but it's not him um So he wrote, at the end of March 1949, as a result of an anonymous telephone call to the intelligence headquarters in Charlottenburg, West Berlin, in the British sector, I and Sergeant Whitehorn uh, went to redacted 
uh, in this unfortunately in this letter there's lots that's redacted uh, a villa where an armed russian civilian was alleged to be inside the house don't forget padola has n- same as uh on the other uh, events when he's out there committing crimes he doesn't take any id with him he makes sure he has no id with him so therefore when he was uh detained they checked his pockets they couldn't find anything there uh, as we arrived two men Padola and a man called Redacted, that's not his name, uh, escaped through the back door, but after a short chase, we arrested both men. See how similar that is to uh, uh, with DS Purdy and Sanford. Um, we searched them at once, but did not find a weapon on either man. Uh, we took them both back to the headquarters for questioning. See, they searched them. Um, someone's using a strimmer outside very annoying that means it's going to be a horrible pollen day which means my eyes are going to be horrible uh, redacted was a west german who after 10 days detention was handed over to the civilian police in west berlin um, when no evidence of any offense was discovered against him and he was no longer a security interest Padola, see he could have Padola could have walked away at that point if he just stopped acting like a tit uh, Padola told us he was Major Karanov of the Russian Central Command Commandature, uh, NKVD, the Russian secret police, stationed at Karlshurst, uh, East German zone, East Eastern zone in Germany. He was in civilian clothing and at that time was aged roughly around twenty years old. So he wouldn't have been a major if he was aged twenty years old. Don't forget, he's not even old enough at this point. Um, to be uh, uh, conscripted into the German army, I think it was. I think it was twenty-one at that point. I could be wrong. I know. I know it was close to that. It was older than I expected it to be. Uh, about ten days before we arrested Padola, um, uh, a something redacted uh, by Russians uh, and taken to the Eastern Zone in Germany. Uh, he has not been traced, but is believed. Um, oh, the the husband. This is the husband of the widow. Uh, he is believed to have been sentenced to 25 years imprisonment in Siberia. There was a good deal of pub- publicity in the West German papers of this. Uh, oh, my brain's just gone. My brain's just my brain's just had a massive fart. Um, I just can't be asked with reading all of this because it's badly written. It really is badly written. Basically, um, um, Gunter Padola had read in the papers that her husband uh, was missing, potentially sentenced to 25 years imprisonment in Siberia. He read the papers. He did exactly what he did with uh, Verno Hara, the lady whose house he's broken into. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. She's a famous celebrity, potentially with a secret lover. Uh, this lady has a, a, is a widow, possible widow with a missing husband i can extort from them uh padola told us he was trying to help redacted this is the lady get her husband back from the eastern zone he admitted he asked her for six thousand marks about 800 pounds in 1949 for his services padola explained his visit to the house at the time of his arrest by saying he had called on her uh, and said he was going to bring her husband back home that night when arrested he had around two thousand marks on him um Let's go down to this bit. Uh, Padola was detained for 14 days. After about four days' detention and interrogation, our questioning on security matters became more and more serious. And it was then that I noticed a sudden change come over Padola's whole personality. You notice he's calling him Padola throughout, even though it's proved it wasn't him. Up to that point, Padola had maintained that he was Major Karanov. From then onwards, 
Padola refused point-blank to speak at all. He put on a vacant expression and occasionally grinned vacantly, as he was doing in hospital, uh, as if he was stupid or mentally deficient. Don't forget this. Roland Gray has read about a lot of this in the papers, so he's probably misattributing a lot of what he's doing and cherry-picking the details which match up as opposed to just telling the whole story. Uh, he kept this up continually for days on end, although he ate and drank normally. There you go. Uh, I cannot say whether or not Padola slept as I was on duty during these days and off during the nights. He was given no opportunity to play games or read. Uh, throughout his detention, he spoke with a very strong Slavic accent, which suggested he was either Russian, Polish or Yugoslavian. He had no papers on him to prove his identity, and that was why we had to hold him for so long. After being detained for nine days, I told Badola we believed his story about being a Russian officer and that we were going to hand him over to the Russian authorities. He showed no reaction to this news and was clearly calling our bluff. About 15 minutes afterwards, we escorted Badola to a waiting car. Maybe this is the moment of reasoning why he fled uh, with DS Purdy and Sanford being led to an awaiting car. Maybe that triggers another memory of the, of potentially being uh, sent to uh, sent to Russia, uh, and as we were about to put him inside the car, Podola broke down and told us that he was not Russian but German. I took Podola back to his cell and resumed my questioning, explaining that unless he could prove he was German, he would be handed over to the Russians. At once, Podola changed completely and answered all of my questions in a full way. He spoke in an ordinary German accent with no hint of Slavic. He told me his real name was. That's one of the questions. Um, from the United States sector, West Berlin, and that he used the names of Padola and Fischer. Padola is not a German name. I believe it is Italian. It's not. It's Czech, actually. Uh, Padola admitted that he had read in the newspapers about the abduction of the woman's husband and had planned to resume the role of a Russian officer and obtain money from... Uh. Um, Padola was released uh, if... If he would have been handed over to the Russians, his arrest would almost certainly have led to his death. But as mentioned, Interpol looked into this and they found out uh, it wasn't Padola at all. It was someone entirely different. So even though all those details marry up, he has clearly cherry picked the details to make it to make it fit a story. And I don't think I don't think he's being malicious about it. I think he's desperate to help. And he's going, oh, yeah. Oh, that bit. Oh, yeah. That, that, that. And, we, you know, you could. You, you you could attribute one person to another person, but but like you could you could say that me and Lenny Henry are brothers at birth. You know we're clearly not because we're different ages and we're different races and we're different heights. And but you know if if you say well they're both born in Birmingham and you know they're, they're you know they both worked in comedy and da, da, da. you could if you make enough connections people can go oh maybe they are related you know it's connections we're always looking for connections and that's the problem with this story is that people were looking for connections and they found them when they needed them right let's do some quiz questions let's see how many of them i ballsed up i think a few um question number one when arrested in berlin it was said that padola said his real name was what it was junkersfeld Question number two, when examined by the police surgeon, what was Gunter's pulse rate? It was 86. Question number three, how many days was it said that Gunter was detained by, by British intelligence in Berlin? 
I think I gave away this one. So if you haven't got this one, uh, it was 14 days. Question number four, what ward was he, was he put on in St. Stephen's Hospital? It was ward B5. Question number five, what sedative was he offered in hospital but refused? It was Nembutol. Question number six, what was Gunter having done to him by a nurse Ooh, uh, when he started speaking French? Oh, I'd speak French if a lovely nurse did something to me. Um, especially if it's Eve. Eve dressed as a nurse. My God. Uh, it was having his ears syringed. Question number seven, which doctor was beaten by Gunter at a game of chess? It was Dr. Latham. Someone's doing some hammering outside. Lovely. Question number eight. What prison was he transferred to after hospital? It was Brixton Prison. Question number nine. Gunter claimed he couldn't remember his own child's name, but he could remember the names of which five people? Now, if you name three, you get a point for that. It was the monarch, i.e. The, the queen, the prime minister, the German chancellor, the president and the East German Communist Party chief. And finally, question number 10. Uh, what did they say Gunter had an IQ of? It was 115, uh, with the average in the UK around that point being uh, 98. So uh, higher than average. Uh, so clearly, clearly relatively smart, quite manipulative, knew what he was doing. A lot of this was being planned out, but not smart enough. So I think that's it. Oh, Christ, that was a very long extra mile. Sorry about that, but there's a lot to say. Right, I'm going to FRO now. Don't forget there's not a proper extra mile next week. We are going to do a run of uh, daily inches. Oh, daily inch. Uh, so that'll go, uh, I think it's three weeks. I'm going to do that. It'll be Monday to Friday across three weeks. And then we'll come back with another run of murder mile, which will take us through to Christmas. Unless I get bronchitis again, unless my other eye gets blinded, unless who knows what, unless I get, I mean, I'm, I'm surviving with puncture marks in my willy owing to Eva and her high heels, but I can survive with that. But if she steps on my eye, I'm a bit buggered. Not that eye, a different eye. Anyway, that's me done. Have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.